Blog Talk Radio. Let's take our songbook stand together. Turn to 323. 323. Standing on the promises of God. Let's all sing good and strong this morning. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to Him eternally by love's strong sword, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God, at last. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing. 
resting on the promises of God. All right, turn around and shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad to get to church this
right, turn to 543, 
All right, I thought we had a merge. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, third verse. Here we go. You ready? I thought it was an emergency. Okay. Ready? His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the wealthy foot. When all around me took his way, he then is all my hope and stay. Unprocessed of all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Rest in his righteousness alone, all blessed to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. That a preacher out there. I don't know if y'all really caught that fourth verse. Amen. That's talking about when the trumpet blows. Amen. When the, he shall come with trumpet sound. Any day now, I'm expecting to hear that trumpet blow, and I'm expecting to be called away. Amen. It says, dressed in his righteousness alone. That's the thing we need to remember. We just talked about it in Sunday school, but we are completely covered in the righteousness of our Savior. His blood not only washes clean so that we're not dirty before God's eyes anymore. There's no stain of sin in us anymore. But not only are we clean, we're not a blank slate. God has dressed us in the righteousness of his Son so that when he looks upon us, not only does he not see our sin, he sees the righteousness of his own Son. So when God looks at us, he loves us with the love that he loves his own Son. Ain't that something? Hallelujah. That right there like a method of shout. It really would. Amen. If it heard it just right, praise God. Turn to number 42. 42. Amen. It used to be the Methodist that did shout it, praise God, a long time ago. All right. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, thou ransomed from sin and a new work begun. Sing praise to the Father and praise to the Son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved 
his own precious son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved, saved, my sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. How long? 
Forever. It ain't been forever. Come on, Robert. We, hey, I was in the Gospels forever. I mean, I was there for four years in the Gospels. And uh, ain't nobody trying to jump around, all right? <laughs> uh, you know what? I want you to learn what the Bible says. And I feel like we just jump like a grasshopper through the Bible all the time. We don't get it. We need to we need to know what the, what God said to us, and we need to study it all. You know, there, there, there's a lot of preachers who won't preach some of this because just I'll just be straight with you. There ain't a whole lot of meat in it. Some of it there's not a lot of meat. Sometimes you got to drag it four or five times before you get up, you know, a, a cup worth of something to preach on. But you know what? Sometimes you just need to tell the history. If there ain't a whole lot of doctrine, you just need to look, and God will show you something. Amen. And God showed me some things in this, but it's going to be a little bit like a history lesson this morning and a little bit like a sermon. So, you know, I always look at it this way. Whatever God makes it, that's what it'll be. He knew it before I got here, so praise God. But we're in the last chapter. We've been 54 weeks. This is week 54 of Holy Ghost Power, our study of the book of Acts. And uh, we're not going to finish it this morning. We're going to split this chapter into two parts. So we're going to go down through verse 16 this morning. So let's go ahead and let's read through verse 16, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. And when we were escaped, and when they were escaped, rather, let me rephrase, rephrase that. When they were escaped, they, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire... There came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while, they saw no harm came to him. They changed their mind and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Puteoli. And we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. So we went toward Rome, and from thence when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. 
Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for another Sunday, another opportunity to stand behind this sacred desk and preach the Word of God. Lord God, I don't take it lightly. Lord, I, I, I throw myself on your mercy. I ask you, Holy Spirit of God, fill me. Cleanse me, fill me, control me, speak through me, work through me, use me. I'm your instrument. I want to be used of you. I want to be a vessel that you use to pour out on your people. Lord God, please, I know I'm not worthy. I know I don't deserve it. But, Father, because of your mercy and your grace, I plead with you, the blood of Jesus, give me power to preach this morning. I need your unction and power. Lord, I praise you, and I thank you ahead of time for what you'll do, how you'll speak to hearts. Lord, how you'll reassure people. Father, I don't know what the needs are in this room, but you know them all. Lord, you know the needs of all that will listen in and watch us this morning. And, Lord God, I pray you'll meet every single need. Help me now to say things, Lord, that you want me to say. I'll give you the glory and the praise for it all. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Praise God. Well, I'm, like I said, I'm going to cover down through verse 16 this morning, so let's get to rolling on it. But I want—I kind of want to touch on where we've been just a second, just for the sake of those that weren't here last week. Now, we need to remember this journey. We'll show you on this map kind of where he went. This journey started out there here in Caesarea where Paul had, well, let's just back up. Paul had come from his third missionary journey and it's failed down here and came to Caesarea and went into Damascus. I'm not Damascus, but Jerusalem. Went up to Jerusalem and said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And all the way, you remember, he warning him at every church he stopped in, if you go, you're going to be arrested. Of course, he went there, he got arrested in the temple, and he was taken by the Roman guard, and, and the Jews wanted to kill him. Forty men took him out and said, we're going to eat or drink, so we killed him. And, of course, God sent him to a 476 man uh, uh, I'm trying to say chauffeur, right, man, all the way up here to Caesarea where he spent in jail for two years. Uh, he was tried, but he went, he went before uh, for, um, Festus, and he went before, uh, God help me remember the other one's name. I can't think of it to save my life. It was Portius Festus and the other one, Felix. He went before Felix first, and he went before Festus. And then he, went, and then he saw Agrippa, and, and he appealed to Caesar, so he said, you're going to Caesar. So he left there, and he's going back where God wanted him to go before he ever argued with God and went to Jerusalem against God's will. He went to Jerusalem, remember, because he was so passionate to win the Jews to Christ, he said, I'll gladly go to hell if they can all be saved. But he went, and God said, don't go, but he went anyway. So now he's been sitting in a jail for two years and got on a boat, headed for Rome as a prisoner to go and stand before Caesar. Right there. 
You can make it through this life, but you need to stay with the ship. Amen. Don't get out of the ship. Don't get away from the Lord. Don't try to make it on your own. Stay with the ship. But I didn't preach that. All right? But let's keep going. So, again, if we come to this island, Malta, there's a place on the island where the two seas run together. It's kind of like a, kind of like a little inlet where there's, a, where there's a, a, a creek flowing out of it or something. And they put the sail up that was all tattered and torn what they had left, and they headed, they headed straight in for that little crag in the rocks. And they went in and they jammed the ship up in there, and the ship got stuck in the rocks. And the waves were hitting the ship from behind. So it's raising it up and down the front stuff. So the ship falls apart. And, uh, and the Romans, of course, they were going to kill the prisoners because if any escaped, they'll die. So they were going to kill them. And, uh, and because Julius was a the man that had kept Paul all this time, because, and Paul had, and no doubt Paul had probably won him to the Lord. If he'd not won him to the Lord, he'd probably give him enough enough of a preaching that he knew that Paul was a righteous man. He didn't want Paul to die. Again, I know why he didn't want Paul to die. God laid it on his heart. Don't you dare kill Paul. Why? Because God had already promised Paul, you're going to Rome. Amen? Paul, well, hear me now, Paul was invincible. You hearing me? Paul, on this trip, although it was fraught with all kinds of difficulties and dangers, Paul was invincible. Now, can I tell you this morning, you, my friend, are invincible until God's done with you. God has a plan for your life. He has some things he wants you to do in life. And until he's done with you, you're invincible. God, God has got you. And God had Paul. So anyway, here we are on the mountain. I want you to expect to see the ship has broken in pieces. The doors have come loose. These prisoners, all 276 of them, 276 men, plus plus the shipmen and, and the guards, they got a hold of these boards that were floating in the ocean, and they used those to dog paddle up to the shore. So they got to the shore. I want you to picture the scene. The hurricane is just about over. It's still raining. It, the winds are blowing. They're cold as they can. Can you imagine? They have been, I mean, who, I mean they've been out a good long while. I'm trying to remember how long it had been that they that they took to get from one point to the other. I can't even remember, to be quite honest with you. But I know they've been through a hurricane. They went through a hurricane in a ship in the middle of the ocean. This was not an ocean liner. This was not a yacht. This is an open ship. They have been rained on and rained on and rained on for days and days and days on end. The wind has blown them ever which way. They have been through a nightmare. Now to save themselves from drowning, they float up on the on the beach in this unfamiliar place, and that's where we find ourselves. So I want you to picture these 276 men washing up on this beach, on an unknown beach, in the rain and the cold in October with the wind blowing, and they're all freezing to death. All right? That's the scene we're going to start with. The Bible said that when they were escaped, in other words, when they got out of the ship, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. Now, the word barbarous, what does it mean? It means they were an uncivilized people. It it means they weren't like if you went to Rome and you got around the Romans and saw their... their, uh, their way of living, you know, they were more cultured. They had more civilization there. It wasn't like the Jews and the civilization they had. They, these were probably Greeks who lived out there on the Isle of Malta, and they were, again, they were an uncivilized people. They were more of a rustic uh, 
heathen people. But the Bible says that they showed us no little kindness. I can't help but think that God in his providence, God in his providence can move upon the hearts of a heathen barbarous people and put kindness in their hearts toward his people. I believe that with all my heart. I believe the reason they showed them this kindness is because God provided for them. Amen. And the Bible says that they kindled a fire. I got to thinking about that this morning as I was sitting there in my chair drinking my coffee. Where did they find dry wood? <laughs> They've been through a hurricane. You say, well, they must have, must have had it under a shed. I don't know if they had sheds. I don't know. I don't know. So I, I think, well, maybe they had a tarp over someone. They didn't have tarps. I don't know how they had dry wood, but they had dry wood somewhere. That's all I know because God said they kindled the fire. But I, I can just picture these men, uh, these, these, these men of Malta, and they see 276 men come walking up, drenched, drenched as they could be, from top to bottom, shivering cold, and they said, hey, let's get them warm. Let's get these guys warm. So they kindled them a fire up. And the Bible said, and they received us, every one. You know what that means? They were friendly to them. They were, they were kind to them. A ship full of prisoners. He said, because of the present rain and because of the cold. They took them in and showed them kindness. And the Bible said, and when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, so I'm assuming they didn't all come, here, come up and sit down. They all got, got busy and got to work. And you think about 276 men. You're trying to warn 276 men. That's going to be hard to get around with a little tiny fire, ain't it? They must have built a bonfire. Huge fire. Had to have. I mean, I guess they just kept, you got 276 men, they can pick up a lot of sticks. And everybody's grabbing grabbing bundles of, of, of sticks and things, and once you got the fire going, you keep throwing it on there. It'll dry the water off of it. So they got them a big fire going. So Paul's over there, and he's gathering up his bundle of sticks and, and walking over there, and he walks over and throws his sticks on the fire. And while he's throwing his sticks on the fire, I don't know if maybe they built a fire over a hole or a snake went underneath in the ground, but whatever happened, Paul jumped up out of the ground and just snapped on to Paul's hand. And I'm sure when he come up from there, that snake looked like Ricky in that picture when he was holding up that snake the other day. I'm sure Paul had went like this right here. Oh, no, i got a snake on. Snake done bit But here's the thing you've got to realize. This wasn't just any old snake. The Bible said it was a viper. They've been a pit viper. There ain't many snakes more dangerous in this world. That's one of the most venomous snakes there are. And the Bible said it fastened on his hand, which didn't mean it just snapped at him. It means it, it was hanging on him. So all these all these islanders, they're sitting around watching this happen, and they see that happen, and they said, hey, hang on a minute. They saw this venomous beast hanging on his hand. They said among themselves, well, that guy must be a murderer. That guy's a murderer, <coughs> and guess what? He's getting hit right now. Sure enough, he must have done something bad, because you know what they were? They were superstitious, weren't they? <coughs> yeah. These were heathen people, and more than likely, more than likely, they believed in demigods, okay? They believed in, they believed in, a god and then little gods under him. That's the way a lot of the heathen believed. They believed they had multitudes of gods. You take the Indian people, for example. That's what they have. They have, you know, they have no problem believing in Jesus. They'll just throw him up on a shelf with all their other 150, 200 gods. They have no problem adding him to them. Uh, but, you know, 
they don't really truly believe in God. So that's the situation these people were in. So they, they believe, you know, whatever happens to you, that's, that's the gods dealing with you. So they thought, well, Paul, you know, that's the gods dealing with Paul. The gods are getting him because, because he, he must be a terrorist. He knew these were prisoners, so he must be a murderer. And the Bible said, and he shook it off into the fire and felt no harm. Hmm. I wonder why. Could it be from what God said in chapter 23? Let's look at what God said in chapter 23. Chapter 23 and verse 11. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. What was that? That was God's promise. Paul, you're going to make it to Rome. Amen? And you know what? I believe that's why Paul didn't freak out when that snake jumped on him and bit him. I believe that's why Paul didn't freak out in the middle of that hurricane. I believe that's, that's why Paul hasn't panicked at all. Because, number one, Paul died a long time ago. Amen? He, wrote, he writes in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So he's saying, I, I died. When I got saved, the old Paul died. So I'm not worried about that. I Listen, I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven. He, he said, I'm in a straight betwixt two, uh, desiring to depart and, and be with the Lord. Amen. He wanted to go. He wasn't, he wasn't homesick for this world. He was homesick for heaven. But not only was he ready to die, and he was not afraid for that reason, but he also had the confidence of what God had shown him, that he was going to make it. Amen. Now I want you to turn to Mark chapter 16. I'm going to show you something. Mark chapter 16. The last chapter in Mark. There are people who believe that this latter part of this uh, chapter is not meant to be in our Bible, but I say hogwash. It's in here. God put it in here. It's in here for a reason, and I'm fixing to show you. <clears throat> look at verse. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 15 and following. The Bible said, and he said unto them, this is Jesus talking, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Don't get hung up on that. Notice it says, he that believeth not, not believeth not and is baptized not. Baptism is not essential for salvation. He that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Now you say, uh, okay. Now I want you to notice verse 18 there. It says, they shall take up servants. Now, these sign gifts, these sign gifts are not there today. We don't need these sign gifts. These, <coughs> these gifts were given to the apostles. These gifts are not given throughout the New Testament church, but these gifts are given to apostles. Now, can we, can we pray and, and, and God will use our prayers to cast out devils that, has that happened in, in modern times? Yeah, I believe so. But we don't do it. God does it. Amen. 
I can't cast the devil out of anybody. No, but God can. Listen, I believe God, if God's people can pray over somebody and God will cast it out, but I don't believe that I necessarily have authority or power to cast, cast out a devil. Listen, I, I've never spoke with a new tongue. I don't believe that's for the New Testament era. We're living in right now, I believe, it's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul said, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. I believe he meant that. And, and, and he says, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, I believe in praying for sick folks, and I, I believe the Bible tells us to, to, to pray. And if somebody were to come to me and say, will you, will you pray for me that I'll be healed? I'd say, sure, I'll pray for you that you'll be healed. I'll anoint them with oil and pray for them. Uh, we get the whole church involved and pray for them. But do I believe that I have the power to lay hands on somebody and heal them? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I never have. Amen. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you something else. You gonna hand me some poison? Me drink it? No. Amen. I don't believe. I don't believe. And you know what? And anybody that would argue with me that these things are for this modern day, I'd be glad to give them a couple sign out if they want to show me. And then I direct them to go down to the hospital and go in there and heal everybody, if you're able to still do these things. But I want you to understand that it was still going on at this point. It ceased at some point, and I'm going to show you where it ceased. I believe where it ceased. But nevertheless, before I confuse you any further, I'm going to go on. All right. So he shook off the beast. So he, there, was a, uh, there was a time where, again, he had, he had a serpent bite him, and it didn't kill him. All right. So the Bible tells us that they, they looked on him. When they looked on him, and he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they looked a great while and saw no harm came to him, they changed their minds. And they said, oh, he's a god. You talk about a, 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 a quick knee-jerk reaction. First of all, he's a murderer. Notice that's a little g god. Again, that happened over in, uh, in uh, Lystra too, didn't it? They thought that he was... Uh, Mercury. These pagans, again, they believe in a multitude of gods. <clears throat> so, and let me and let me just throw this in there too before we get any further. Again, why did Paul not freak out when the snake bit him? You know what Romans eight twenty eight says. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Okay, all things work together. You mean a snake biting me can work together for good? I believe it did. You know why? Because once that snake bit him, that he had everybody's attention. All attention, all eyes were focused on Paul. Paul had done something. God had done something miraculous in Paul to show them there's something special about this man. Okay, so I want you to see the next thing that happened. God is using Paul again. Amen? All this time, Paul has been in a time of wasting. You see that? He's been sitting and waiting. And I believe that took place because he disobeyed God. But God has, has brought him from those two years he sat there idle and did nothing. Now, God has got him back out going again, and God appearing to him and saying, you're going to testify in Rome, and now these events taking place, he's back on the field. 
Amen. That's why I call this the fourth, the fourth uh, missionary journey of Paul because he's back at it again, and God's using him. Now I want you to look what happened. Verse seven, in the same quarters, so close by there, were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius. Now Publius, I want you to understand who who he was. Again, this is a little old Greek over here, and I look at this little. Okay, there's the function. All right? The Romans right here. So this is just right south of, of, of Italy. So, again, this empire area is the Roman Empire. So Rome is Rome's in all. So, again, you remember down here in, in Jerusalem, you had, I mean, not Jerusalem, but in Caesarea, you had a governor, a Roman governor there. Again, it was uh, Felix and then Festus. Uh, yeah, what I call him, Porky Festus. But anyway, but he was the Roman governor. But there were liaisons who dealt with the, with the Roman governor. There were liaisons in Israel who, who were the go-between between, between the, 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 uh, the uh, religious and the civil government. Well, you have the same kind of thing on the Isle of Malta. You have a liaison and the Roman governor. And that man was a man named Publius. All right? So just so you understand who he is. <clears throat> and the Bible says he received us and lodged us three days courteously. Now, when you say us, again, I don't think he's talking about all 276 prisoners. I think he's, I think when he says us, Luke, who you remember, is writing this. I've been so long since we mentioned that. I don't know if you remember that Luke is the one writing these things. But, but Luke is with Paul. Luke has followed. He has gone on the ship with Paul. Luke has gone through everything that Paul has gone to, gone through. And he says that Publius brought us in, and he lodged us courteously, brought him into his house. And the Bible said it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. That sounds awful, doesn't it? I, I'm going to tell you what that is. Okay? You can, you can make a place. My wife's going, don't do it, don't do it. But it's bloody diarrhea. That's what it is. Yeah, he had horrible, bloody diarrhea. And he was dying. Okay? So he, he was terribly dying. He was in a terrible mess, and he's dying. And so they, they call Paul in. They've seen Paul. They've seen the, the snake body. They've seen him go through that. And they said, this guy, there's something to him. There's miraculous power in this guy. So let's bring him in and see if he can do anything about Paul. This is bad. Okay? And it came to pass, okay, he laid fever in a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him, and healed him. All right? Now, let me just say this. It doesn't go through there and give you an account of Paul sharing the gospel with Publius' dad, but I can almost guarantee you nobody in this Bible gets saved without, I mean, gets healed without getting saved. God's people did not go about just healing everybody without giving them the gospel. It's a given here that Paul witnessed to these people that Paul shared the gospel with these people, all right? And he healed him. And I want you to know something. Again, we talked about those, those things that Christ mentioned in Mark chapter 16. But I want you to see this is one of the last healings in the Bible. One of the last times that the Bible mentions healings. So look at verse 9 too. So when this was done, others also which had diseases on the island came and were healed. What's happening here? God's stirring up revival. God's stirring up. God, the Holy Ghost is getting stirred up on the Isle of Malta. God is using Paul again. 
Amen. Let me tell you something. You might you may blow it. You may blow it as big as blowing it can be. And Paul blew it. Paul went right against God. He went right against the Holy Spirit. And everybody telling him, Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't even do it. And he just said, I'm gonna do what I want to do. I'm gonna do it because that's what I want to do. And how many times have we done that? And how many times have we wrecked our life and we suffered for it? And God has had to bring us back around and lead us gently back into his will. And that's exactly what's happening in the Apostle Paul's life. God has brought the Paul full circle where he was. And God is restoring his ministry. So you have all these people on the island. God does a miracle. God, God opens the door. Paul preaches the gospel. Paul heals somebody. Word begins to spread. People begin to come. Paul is there on that island. And notice how long he's there. Verse 11 tells us he was there three months. You know, in three months, a lot of gospel preaching can go on. Amen. I'm going to tell you, in those three months, I do it in the Isle of Malta, the gospel was being shared daily. And people were being healed right and left. God was working tremendously through the Apostle Paul again. I said to you that was one of the last healings in the Bible. I'll, tell, I'll show you that just so you can see it. In Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, it gives us, it gives us this. Paul, this is, right, this is the last letter that Paul wrote. And Paul writes this in verse 20. He says, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Now, if Paul was able to heal, and Trophimus was a believer, then Trophimus surely had the faith to be healed, and Paul surely had the faith to heal him. But you know what happened? God had ended the healing. God wasn't healing anymore, evidently, because Paul had the gift of healing, and all of a sudden Paul couldn't heal anymore. He wouldn't just lift him sick for the sake of leaving him sick. But these things, these miraculous gifts in the Bible have come to an end. We have the finished scripture. We don't need miracles anymore. Amen? We don't need God to do miraculous things to prove to us that this is his word. Amen? His word proves itself. All right, so let's keep going. So... Again, they had this they had this, this three month period of time that they have been had a tremendous, glorious revival there on the Isle of Malta, or Melita rather. So the Bible said in verse ten that these people who also honored us with many honors, and when we departed they laded us with such things as were necessary. God did such a great job it's just a great thing on that island of Melita. He did such a great thing, uh, saving souls and, and changing lives and healing people, that these people they, they they just wanted to they just wanted to bless them and give them everything that they could. They wanted to give over abundantly to make sure that these men had everything that they needed. Let me tell you something: when God moves into your life, I mean, you saw our generosity in these people before. They provided for them before, but now as they're leaving, they want to make sure every need they have is met. It's not just kindness for kindness sake. It's kindness because they have done such a tremendous gift has been given to us, such a tremendous work has been done in us, and we want to do all we can to further you and your cause for Christ. It's the change it makes in a believer's life. And, and it just astounds me that God is so uh, fully working in Paul's life again. Verse 11, and after three months we departed 
in a ship of Alexandria. So this ship came out of Alexandria in Egypt. This is one that's sighted evidently in Rome, cargo ship, and it's lodged there in Melita. <coughs> so oh, in their travels around that island, they ran across that ship from Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux, those are two stars. That's what we know is the sign of Gemini. Uh, the 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 uh, whatever you want to call it, yeah, the constellation Gemini. I couldn't think of the word. Thank you, but uh, but that's what Castor and Pollux are. So evidently they had that those stars or that sign painted on the side of that ship. And I want you to notice that they had wintered in the Isle. There's a reason why they were there three months. They were they got there in October, November, December, January. They'd been there for for three months through the middle of winter. Waiting on winter to get past so they could they could sail again and they and they set sail from there verse twelve says and landing in Syracuse so let's find Syracuse so they left here and they sailed up to this island right here right there to Syracuse and they were there for three days and I noticed I noticed up in the scripture they were they there was verse seven they were there three days. And then in verse 12, they were there three days. You know, if you're somewhere for three days, you've got a lot of time to establish relationships. you got a time. You got time for people to get to know you in three days. And, I, and, I, and there's no telling how many people Paul was able to lead to Christ everywhere he went. Things have changed. He's, again, he's back, he's back in operation. So three days there in Syracuse. Verse 13, and from thence we fetched a compass. He said, what does that mean? I didn't know what that meant either, but that's a, that's a nautical term. That means they made a circle. <laughs> so when they left when they left Syracuse, they made a circle and caught the wind is what they did. So they, they fetched a compass. They caught, caught the wind and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Putioli. I like to say that word, Putioli. Sound like a sound like a brand of olive oil, doesn't it? But uh, so so again, I stopped there for a day. Again, I'm sure he's witnessing along the way. And then when they came to Putioli, look at verse 14, where we found brethren, and were desired to tarry with them seven days. Praise God! When he got up here to Putioli, they're they're in the Italy, they're, they're short distance. Finding fruit, he didn't even know he had. 
Folks, that's the way it's going to be when we get to heaven. I want you to know something. When we get to heaven, we're going to find that there was people that we said something to that we never even knew took. We're going to find fruit we never even knew we had. People who were watching us and necessarily didn't talk to us, but yet they had heard the gospel and they were watching us and saw us do something Christ-like, and they said, you know, there's something to that. May have led them to their salvation. You don't know how much fruit you have waiting on. Paul finds his fruits hanging there in Putiola. They found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. I bet that was some sweet fellowship, don't you bet? And they're finding out this is the guy who brought the gospel up here. If it wasn't for this guy, we would none of us be saved. I'm going to tell you something. I could say the same thing. You could say the same thing. If it wasn't for that guy we're talking about who followed the Lord, we wouldn't be saved. And from thence, okay, and he said, and so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as a pie forum. So there are more. He's finding more. They came down, where's the pie for them? I can't believe it. And the three taverns. There's another place right up the road, the three taverns. And, again, finding believers all along the way. Everywhere they stopped, he's finding believers. Churches that were established that he didn't even know were there. Paul, when, he, when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. I'm going to finish verse 16, then I'm going to say what i got to say we'll be doing. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. I'm assuming that was Julius, who'd been with him the whole way. But I want you to, I want you to see how good God is. You can go completely against God. Do it the wrong way. Mess up completely. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're a child of God, and God is working in your life, and God has a plan for your life, and he has a plan for every single one of us, let me tell you something. When you surrender and you quit fighting God, and you put yourself in his care, God may have to, he may have to spank you to get you back in line with him, but I'm going to tell you something. When you get back in line with God, God is a restoring God. God is a restorer. Others may look at you and say, well, you've gone too far. you messed up. There is no more left of you to be used. But I'm going to tell you something. God's got more for you. It ain't never over until it's over. Don't ever look at your situation and say, well, I have gone further than I can go, and I should have gone, and God won't ever use me. God will always. He'll t- Listen, God, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll say it till I'm dead. God can take a crooked, line, a crooked stick and draw the straightest line. God doesn't need perfection. God takes what's there and he uses it and makes it perfect. Amen? God, God's not asking for your, your ability. God just wants your availability. And when Paul made himself available to God again, God picked him up and not only used him again, but encouraged him and blessed him. That's the God we serve. 
Listen to me. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that God God wants you to stay beat down and, 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 and feeling sorry for yourself and, and feeling like a loser. No, God wants you to put your eyes on Calvary and, 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 and sacrifice, crucify that self on that altar there and look up to him and say, Lord, take my life and let it be. As, as Francis Havergale said, Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my lips and make them thine. They shall be no longer mine. Listen, that's what God wants. And when we do that, again, God will pour out his favor on us. God will use us again for his purpose and his glory. I want to say this morning, don't make no difference how it's gone. Don't make no difference for what mistakes you've made. It don't make Sunday school, it's time to get the clear history button. It's time to get going for God again. Let's let's stand together.